Welcome to So You Want to Move to the Country and Raise Goats. This is a podcast about change. Change is all around us, and sometimes we're ready for it, and sometimes we're not. When it overwhelms us, well, we just want to move to the country and raise goats. This podcast features stories from people who have gone through change. We hope that their insights will help you better understand and deal with the changes in your life. I'm Peggy Koenig, and along with my co-host, Catherine Greiva, we chat with insightful people with interesting change stories. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Well, today, Sheldon Dingwall from Dingwall Guitars is joining us on the podcast, and what a story Sheldon has. He started his business in 1987, making guitars, but has a history prior to that as a musician and a a touring musician on the road. So interesting. He gave himself until the age of 25 to make it in the business as a musician and uh, told himself if he hadn't made it by then, he would move on, do something else. And that's exactly what it did. What really intrigues me about Sheldon's story is how the creative and the building side of his talent was really supported by a need as well to run a business and be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Still that artistic side that that really drives him. He's He's been very successful. He is... Um, Renowned in the music world, a lot of endorsing artists who use his uh, his bass guitars. I think they're just beautiful. They they are beautiful instruments. You know, it's so true what you say about him melding creativity and and business. And I I think many people going into business have an area of specialty or a technical skill or something really good at, and try to make it in business, but there's a whole other side of running a business that's very different. And it just seems Sheldon has been able to make it work and very successfully. Yeah, very successfully. Thank you, Sheldon, for being on the podcast. It's really great that you could join us today. I'd like to start this story uh, back when you were, well, you were five years old, and that's when you really started with music. You learned the piano, and then I understand you moved into drums, and then took up the guitar when you were 12 years old, and then eventually actually pursued a musical career and were a touring musician before you became a creator and then a business owner. So I'd like to know what that change was like for you to move from uh, a touring musician to being a creator or a builder, and then to start your own business. Like what was motivating, what was going on there for you? That's, that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I had made up my mind that if, if I hadn't made it in the biz <laughs> by the time I was 25, back then I thought 25 was ancient. And so if, if I hadn't achieved my goal by 25, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to do something else. And, you know, I was really fortunate to grow up in Saskatoon and be aware of Glenn McDougall uh, with Fury Guitar. Glenn was the very first manufacturer of, of electric guitars in Canada. So, and he did it on a, on a, in a two car garage. Uh, so it wasn't a huge operation, although his production numbers were actually really, really respectable. But that first hurdle of, could I build guitars? 
uh, I didn't have to jump over that hurdle because I saw Glenn did it. And, I was, and if one man can do it, so can another. Maybe if I would have grown up in Nashville, I would have looked at Gibson and went, well, I could never do that. It's too huge. So, right. so the process of the fear of can it be done, I didn't have to deal with. And so then it was just a matter of having inspirations. And, and I think my first inspirations were, to be honest, advertising. I came up with some, some ad ideas. They were terrible. But uh, that kind of inspired me to go, well, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to make a product and have cool ads. And um, I met my, my now ex-wife, but uh, soon-to-be wife back then. And um, that changed my perspective and, and accelerated. I left the road when I was 24 rather than 25 because I saw a better future elsewhere. I have a question about about this, Sheldon. So was it the desire to make cool ads versus a desire to to build a better guitar that that was your interest at the time? Um, I actually think about this a lot. Uh, up until five years ago, I never considered myself an entrepreneur. I considered myself a do-it-yourselfer. And a do-it-yourselfer's mentality is, man, this tool doesn't feel good in my hands. What could I do to, to make it feel a little better? And so you, you tweak it. And uh, when I was riding heavy into mountain bikes, I was, as I was riding uh, my bike, I'd be thinking about, this would be so much better with a set of disc brakes. How can I make disc brakes work with this bike that was never designed for them? And so I would design parts for my bike. When I played drums, I would come up with improvements for drums so it was to build a better guitar but it was kind of more personal than that it was what would I like to see what's not available and and how could I make it and that was that was exciting to me so Sheldon how did it move from from building a better guitar to to starting a business how did that happen I mentioned I didn't consider myself an entrepreneur, but when I look back, um, I had a record company when I was 20 so that I could, I could produce my own records. And I remember being this 20-year-old kid in my parents' basement calling on their landline to CBS Records and, and trying to sound important and business-like and, and actually talk them into uh, printing records for me. And so, but to me, it didn't really seem like a business. That, that was just what I had to do in order to, to um, uh, get records out. And uh, the same thing with guitars. It wasn't so much, I didn't start a business to be in business. I started a business because there was no other place to do it. Uh, I couldn't get hired in Saskatoon. Boy, those are, those are pretty big moves for a very young man. You seem fearless. And is that true that you see something that has to be done and, and just do it? If it's exciting, it, the, the excitement outweighs the fear. And I think vision comes into play a lot. My brain is wired to be quite visual. And so, well, I think anybody, if you can visualize the outcome, yeah. then, then that takes the fear out of it. It's, it's when you can't predict the outcome that the fear steps in. Or if you predict the outcome to be negative. Um, right. Well, Sheldon, you, you said earlier that you only really thought of yourself as an entrepreneur maybe five years ago. I had to be told. That- <laughs> <laughs> so could I say then that you were an accidental entrepreneur? You ended up with this 
this business. You ended up with presence in the whole uh, guitar making industry. Was it accidental? Yeah, I didn't coin the term, but uh, but I use it a lot. Happy accident. And so happy accident. Yeah, okay. a lot of you know, there indirectly, you know, I I was thinking about creativity recently, and um, creative thoughts uh, to me they're like vapors. And, you know, they don't have substance. And uh, so the, the process for me of, of creating a solid is to try and capture these vapors and turn them into a solid. And so there are all kinds of ideas floating around. And if you're too focused on life, you'll, you won't pay attention to them. And so for some reason, um, if, if there's an exciting idea, I'll latch onto it hard and, and uh, do everything I can to, to, turn that into something that something physical. That's intriguing that, um, you know, that very creative mind of yours and yet starting a business, running a business, keeping it going, expanding a business takes, you know, another side of your brain. It's very, there's, there's a whole other part of running a business that's, perhaps not the creative part. How did you, how was that for you? The whole, you know, the payroll and the mechanics of running a business. Glenn McDougall had a saying that I, that I, I never forgot. He says uh, to be in business, you have to have a high tolerance for sheer terror. And uh, <laughs> I totally agree with it's that. true. <laughs> and um I think the secret for me, so Saskatoon used to be a very affordable city. When I was in my 20s, I lost an entire group of friends because they all traveled west to to mm -hmm. greener pastures. And I remember at the time wondering, are we going to be the next Newfoundland where, you know, the, 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 the fishing industry crashed and then the whole province went with it. And, and um, it was looking that way for the longest time. But in that, and if you, if you follow any any art movement, there's usually a coinciding economic uh, situation that allows artists to live cheaply. And uh, if you follow um, the, the name of the author, but uh, he talks about the 10,000 hours of developing your skills. All artists need that time to, to be able mm -hmm. to develop their skills because nobody's going to buy nobody's going to buy your work straight off the uh, off the bat unless you're the unbelievable super genius but I haven't met one of those people yet. So. <laughs> well, it's true. That was Malcolm Gladwell, I think, that exactly. is the yeah, Malcolm, that yeah. you're referring to. And it's really true. And do you think, going back to your reference to living in Saskatoon, do you think the community of Saskatoon allowed you to develop your, your skills to get to that 10,000 hours of expertise? 100%. Mm -hmm. I could afford to live here. I found cheap accommodations. So I was able to live on a third of what anybody else would have lived on. And, 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 you know, in, in a way, uh, I, I don't, I don't say this to look for sympathy, but uh, in a way I did sacrifice lifestyle in order to pursue uh, my passion. And that would be true of any artist. I, I, mm -hmm. I came to believe there are two currencies. There's one that, that we're all familiar with, the paper currency, and that feeds your stomach. And then there's this other currency that feeds your soul. And when you when you talk about a starving artist, they're not truly starving. They're only starving in monetary terms, but their soul is being fed by their work and by, by the fact that people appreciate what they do. 
those were the choices I made. Um, uh, and yeah. oftentimes I felt like it wasn't a choice. It was something that I had to do. It, it's if I took a break from, from the process, took a break from work, my, my, my head would just explode with new ideas and it would, it would just pull me right back in. Mm-hmm. So Sheldon, you, I think, I think you see yourself as an artist first. Am I Am I right in, am I reading that right? I think that would be giving me too much credit. Um, oh. <laughs> maybe an artistic mentality, but. Uh, okay. But you are, you're very artistic. I mean, I, I've looked at the guitars on your website and each one is a piece of art that obviously there's been so much creative inspiration that's gone into how those guitars are built and how they look. So running a business, was that to, was that a vehicle to help you achieve your passion? And, you know, it's an interesting question because so many people with an artistic or creative bent, they think it has to be one way or the other. Either I'm going to be an artist or I'm going to be this business person. And you seem to have melded those together very well. Yeah, you know, um, I and I've experienced people that... I've experienced people that that are, you know, on the continuum of from business to artist. They're hard on the artistic side, and they have a disdain for the economics of it. Um, but yet, they have a, a self hatred for not maybe achieving the success that that they would have if they would have paid attention to the the commerce side. And I would fall closer to that than than the business side. Business was just necessity. I think I would have been happy to work for a larger company and and you know have an expense account and a nice desk and here Sheldon designed me some guitars and and uh, I think I would have been happy. I probably wouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> Sheldon, you've you know I read that in the late '90s you experienced what must have been devastating at the time and where a fire destroyed nearly everything uh, in your business. Did you ever consider at that time com- just walking away from the whole thing and doing something else? That was at that point, I thought the struggle wasn't worth it. And uh, uh, because at that time, you know, I, I had a, a one and a half year old daughter. We were living in a two bedroom apartment, just scraping to get by. And it was, it was, it was uh, the beginning of the retro craze, PT cruisers and Ford Thunderbirds and ripped jeans and um, classic rock. And the entire market turned around and looked backwards and said, you know, our best days are, are past us. And the younger kids bought into that. And, and um, you know, I'm 20 and I'm not cool unless my guitar is older than me. And so, our our market just nosedived, and really the only people that that were keeping us going were the engineers and computer geeks. And so, at that time, I was I don't know if I can do this, but Glenn McDougal sat me down. He says, "We're not going to let you quit." And Byron Olson, who um, also built guitars, uh, was a friend of Glenn and, and mine. He volunteered. Uh, probably two hours a day for an entire year, helping me, teaching me um, computer-aided design and helping me to retool the entire operation. And so with the help of 
them and the rest of the musical community, it, they all sort of helped me get back on my feet. If it was just up to me, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it. So Sheldon, it sounds like you've had some really good mentors or role models uh, that you that that supported you as you've moved through this journey. Still do. I use the um, the five minute journal, and every day uh, I write down gratitude. And uh, almost every day, I think of the people that I'm surrounded with that that are just great people that just want to help, and they're supportive and and. Uh, Man, it makes life so much better, easier, just to have that support network. So all of the changes that you've gone through as a result of being an artist um, and a business owner, have those changes had an impact on you, on your personal life or vice versa? Has your personal life had an impact on your entrepreneurial creative side? It's been both. Prior to COVID, I would be, I don't know, every month... I would be probably away out of the country for at least a week. And so it was, it's pretty hard to get anything done in your personal life when, you know, when you can't even remember where you were last month or where you're going next month. So COVID has, this year has been a focus on, okay, what are my blind spots? What stones am I throwing in front of myself that I'm tripping over? Uh, And what do we do about it? And so in uncovering that, man, I'm seeing all kinds of connections between between how I interact with my customers, how I interact with my employees, how I interact with my personal relationships, and each has a strength and a weakness. I would fall into the people-pleasing category, so that would come out of my personal life. But it's been hugely successful for the business because, because I've spent so much time trying to please my customers and and we have customers with dingwall tattoos and and with collections of our bases that range in the our core customers have been described as cult-like i believe it comes from a i'm an outsider to the base world and so i've spent 25 years studying bass players talking about our instruments their likes the dislikes and uh, so i without really even thinking about it amassed a, uh, quite a quite a, uh, a knowledge of, of our customers, which allows me to do intuitively make decisions which connect with them. And I, you know, I apologize, I got off on a tangent. Well, let me just pick up on that, Sheldon, because you, you talk about your weaknesses and, you know, not ignoring them. But that's not easy to do to hold a mirror up in front of ourselves, because it can be yeah, there's could be some flaws, imperfections, even some downright ugliness that's showing back in the mirror. Yep. And how did you, that's not easy to do. How did you work your way through that? Well, I'm, I'm still working my way through it. I, I had a hour long conversation with an employee yesterday, almost like a 360 review. Um, you know, what am I doing wrong? What, uh, where am I causing problems? You know, shame is a, is, I, is, is this hidden I think we all have it to a certain degree. Shame is this hidden demotivator in it, and it, and it really it chains us to our past. And I, was, I think I'm very lucky to have had very loving, very balanced parents. And so when I realize that I've done something really stupid and unintentional, um, I feel bad about it like anybody else would. But it's not as paralyzing. So, uh, but there are still fears I, I need to face, and and I every day I think about them and go, man. You know these knee-jerk reactions—they're—they're—they're 
I know they're the wrong uh, approach. I know they're hurting me. I know they're hurting the people around me. And I just don't have it in me to overcome them yet. Sheldon, it sounds to me like you are um, have undertaken a process of introspection. Like it sounds like you're really looking at yourself and who you are. Has that always been the case for you? Or was there some pivotal event that uh, took you down that road to actually put the mirror up and, and start uh, looking inside? You know, I, I think it would always be there. Uh, I would default to the introvert side. And it's, I guess it's always been there, but I can't really answer that question. Um, I don't think anything, anyone, I mean, wow. Uh, when a 25 year marriage breaks up, um, I, I think anybody would be well advised to spend a lot of time thinking about that and, and try and figure out what went wrong. Um, and with the attitude of, well, I know what they did wrong, but what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So Sheldon, as you're going through some of these changes and, and you're right, a marriage breakup is, is very difficult. How would that have impacted or any changes you would have gone through as a result of, of that? Has that impacted your either creative and or business self? It forced me to take a harder look at the people pleasing side. I mean, I grew up in a family. My father was a minister. My mother was a nurse and an organist and a choir leader. And, sorry, my sister's a choir leader. So it was all in service. And so uh, in in that upbringing, that's where you want to please people. And it's a good thing. And you get rewarded for it. Um, and uh, But in business, it's not quite that gentle. Um, so you can attract, um, you can attract people into your life that, that, uh, maybe take advantage of that. And I certainly add, and I'm not, I'm not casting judgment on, on them, but I certainly made life more difficult by not being more selective with, with the choices of, of people that I allowed in. And, um, Mm-hmm. We all are different. We all have different needs uh, for support. And once I started becoming more selective, life started to get easier. So, Sheldon, are there some key things that you've learned about change that you could share with our listeners? Yes. It seems like there's there's an inverse correlation between planning and adaptability to change. And and if you look at the, the spectrum, the people that are most adaptable are the people that don't plan at all, and they just go with the flow. And there's an upside and a downside to that. And then the people that are rigid planners uh, at the far end of the scale, I would, I would think that their planning is done out of a sense of fear, trying to predict the future, trying to control the future. And humans don't have that ability. And so somewhere in the middle where, I mean, you need to plan in order to achieve any goals, but the plans need to be fluid enough that you can adapt to change. And the more adaptable to change you are, the more able you're going to be, the less fragile your plans are, the more you're going to be able to be resilient and, and overcome. And an example of that would be, we are often faced with challenges that, that, uh, and I, and I, and I, I see people faced with challenges and they just give up. I guess I see myself um, doing that too in areas where, where I, I have weakness, but having, you know, with any, with any, any with any um, challenge, there's very little thought it would take to come up with five solutions. 
And so if you fall in love with the first solution, you'll never think of the, the other four. And, and that's a hard fall to come to fall out of a solution that you're absolutely in love with and find out it doesn't work. Uh, so I'd much rather, right. I'd much rather be um, dating five solutions than falling in love with one. <laughs> Good analogy. <laughs> so, so true. Well, Sheldon, this has been terrific. Thank you. And, uh, you know, just as a citizen of Saskatoon, it's been really a pleasure to watch your success. What's next for you? I've been in the business long enough to see you don't get you don't get opportunities often. Uh, they may become along once in a decade where there's a musical revolution. And we, we were lucky enough to catch a wave. And, and so we're going to make the most of it. So we have one thing I'm very proud of is, is we do a lot of offshore manufacturing. When people think of that, they think of factories that have let go of their entire workforce in favor of offshore manufacturing. And we did the opposite. We used offshore manufacturing as a way to grow our Saskatoon business. So we have three times as many employees now because of that. Um, Three times as much physical space. And I really like that balance. Uh, So for the last 10 years, our outsourcing has been to China. We have a factory in Korea now that is is producing uh, the first run. And we're looking at a factory in India as well. So we'll source from all over the world and all price points. There's still a lot of the world that we haven't we haven't been able to get into the markets and and uh, so that's the goal: South America, Indonesia, um, Africa. Looking forward to to expanding our our reach. I think that's wonderful, and I know that you're you're going to continue to be inspired and have. Um all these creative ideas to create these really beautiful guitars. I don't know what it is. I think people who play guitars, of course, are looking at the sound and the technical aspects. I look at how beautiful they are. <laughs> oh, I'm focused on the beauty. And they're beautiful, Sheldon. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. The musicians focus on the beauty, too. Yeah. Uh, Do ugly guitars them? don't get picked up off the wall. And, and so it has to... It has to attract the the visual first before it even gets played. Well, this has been just an absolute pleasure, Sheldon. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. If you've learned just one thing about change while listening to this podcast, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify and share with a friend. This episode recorded via Zoom audio. Producers Peggy Kanick and Catherine Greiba. Executive producer Kanick Leadership Advisory. Theme music, La Pompeii, written by Chris Harrington, music publisher, Invato Market. For information on this podcast and to purchase some fabulous goat merchandise, please visit www.getyourgoat.ca.